Divine Shepherd Lutheran Church and School in Blackhawk, South Dakota, is happy to share God's Word preached for you by Pastor Randy Sturzenbecker. We pray that you will rejoice in Christ crucified and resurrected for you. The waters of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the forgiveness of sins, all for you, from Jesus. The Old Testament reading for the fifth Sunday after Trinity is from 1 Kings chapter 19. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord will pass by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nishmi. And you shall anoint, and you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Saphat and Abel Mohalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. So we departed from there and found Elijah, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to look inside your bulletin for the catechetical review on holy baptism. What benefits does baptism give? Which are these words and promises of God? The sacrament of the altar. What is the benefit of this eating and drinking? The epistles from First Corinthians, chapter one. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while a crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. The text for today is one line from the epistle reading. St. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for all the gifts you've given to us. We thank you for Jesus, for the hope, the promise, and the absolute forgiveness that we have received from him alone. Strengthen us now in that proclamation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, in about three weeks, the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, meets in exotic Milwaukee, Wisconsin for its Synod Convention. Every three years, the church gets together, and the delegates are brought in, and the delegates guide the Synod in what we are to think about, and directs the Senate into action on a number of things. This year as we go, the delegates will gather and guide the Senate on issues like gender, internet communion, church fellowship with other church bodies, Concordia system, and the formation of pastors in the SMP program. Now, as the Senate gathers in this official place, this official action, and the delegates 
guide the direction of the Senate? What guides the delegates? There are always groups, believe it or not, even in the Senate who are politicking, lobbying, sending information out, trying to guide and direct the way that the delegates will vote. And our president and our Senate is very aware of that. So the theme for this convention as we gather to look at all of these important issues comes from the epistle reading for today. But we preach Christ crucified. That's the hope that we have. That's the promise that we have. And that leads and guides us in everything that we do. As delegates, as they gather together and as they start their voting, it is tempting to think that they should depend on the culture and the wisdom of the world for their guidance. They, it's tempting to think that they should use their own wisdom or the wisdom of sociology or the wisdom of science to guide the decisions as we go forward. It wasn't very long ago, you remember this all too clearly, that we were hearing from the scientific experts that they had the right information as we dealt with COVID-19. Trust the science, we heard. And then over and over again, the message would change. It didn't take us long to realize that the scientific experts were changing their story quite frequently. Now, don't get me wrong, science is a true gift from God for us. And there were many things that came out of that that were very good for us. But science, the wisdom of men, cannot be our salvation from COVID-19. And it wasn't. Since 2010, we've seen the rise of a number of things that seek to answer all of our social ills. These groups and movements are sure that they have the right solution for all of the social problems that we have. If you remember back, the Me Too movement and the cancel culture that's still trying to grab a hold of us was widely promoted. If someone causes you harm, you call them out, you hold them accountable. If a business or an event or even a person is viewed as harmful to the community, they are canceled and their value is taken away. The wisdom of the world is to eliminate anything that is not approved by the culture. Wokeism is still something that we're dealing with. And it's really a new way to say, I am enlightened. Now, because of our wisdom, because of our education, because of our rhetoric, we can clearly see the racial prejudices and the discrimination. The wisdom of the world believes that all we need is more information. All we need are the right opportunities, and we can fix ourselves. CRT, or critical race theory, that would have us believe that because we all have the same skin color, that, other, uh, that we all have one skin color or another, that racism is so deeply established in us that the entire system has to be thrown out and started over again. Even so much that we need to rewrite history so that it represents a better understanding. History has to be sanitized. Education has to be refocused. 
You see, the wisdom of the world's answer to our brokenness is to throw it all out and start over again. Christian privilege is blamed for being too repressive and narrow-minded. The wisdom of the world would silence the preaching of Jesus, and it would replace it with a selfish, narcissistic ruler. And that's the one that looks back at you in the mirror. For many, gender identity is no longer determined by simple biology or even by science, but it's ruled by the emotions and the choices of the individual. Subjective, isolated opinions are primary in making these decisions, or at least trying to reinterpret these decisions that God has already made. Because of the fundamentals of our language are being changed now in all of this, it seems like all the rules are thrown out, and we get to reinvent everything. At least, that's what the world would want you to believe. The world teaches very clearly that you are the ultimate decision maker in all things. The world apart from Christ will always run after whatever seems attractive, whatever seems popular, whatever seems successful. And under the veneer of all of that, whatever will make someone a lot of money. The world apart from Christ believes that we, you and I, have the ability to fix ourselves. If we use the right language, we'll be better. If we don't judge people, we'll no longer marginalize them and things in our world will be better. The problems we've been describing are not new since 2010. They've been around since Adam and Eve plucked that fruit from the tree and took that first fateful bite. St. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, our epistle reading today, because he recognized the very things that we're dealing with here. He recognized them in that church. Forces that were pulling the church away from the hope and the promise that they had in Christ alone. St. Paul's answer to the church wasn't another is. It wasn't a program. It wasn't preaching another self-help seminar to help them empower themselves. It was Jesus. Paul says it best. But we preach Christ crucified. Only the word of God will heal us. Only the word of God can attempt to fix all of the isms and all of the problems in our world today. Changing our language, changing our pronouns, creating new categories for ourselves will not fix the problem. Erasing our history won't heal us. It only removes any wisdom that we can find by looking back and recognizing our sin and our mistakes. Being more tolerant of those things that God forbids will only open the door for the world and the wisdom of the world to push Christ farther away. Only God's word will give us the peace that the world does not know and it can't find on its own. Look at the power of God's word, which is Jesus with a word from Jesus' lips, he attends the wedding and he turns gallons of plain water into the best wine that the steward has ever tasted. 
With a few words from Jesus' lips, he calms the storm that the seasoned fishermen in the boat were afraid they were going to drown in. With a few words from Jesus, the lame walk, the deaf hear. With a few words from Jesus, Satan and his demons run in fear. When Jesus speaks, Jairus' daughter is brought back to life again. By the command of Jesus, the widow's dead son rises in his own funeral. And by the words of Jesus, he calls his very close friend Lazarus from death's four-day grasp. And Lazarus stands and walks out of the tomb. When these words from Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, Jesus forgives all of those who were there crucifying him. Those who flogged him, those who nailed him to the cross, those who railroaded him. Jesus says to them, it is finished. Jesus says to us that one word, to Telestai. And your eternal future has changed. Your sins, all of them forgiven by Christ on the cross, and you have a new future. Not guided and directed by the wisdom of the world but guided and directed by the forgiveness of Christ alone for you, that he might show you his great love and then bring you one day to live with him in all peace and in all security. All the isms that the world has, all the programs, all the things that seek to fix our problems, they're just a band-aid because they never really get to the heart of the problem and the heart is the problem. The heart, apart from Christ, will never see the hope and promise and the forgiveness and the loving your neighbor that comes from a life of faith. Jesus gets to the heart of the issue, and he gets to the heart of your issues. And he does it through his cross. He does it through his death and his resurrection. He does it through the power of his preached word into your ears today. The law that demands that we change, that shows us our sin. And the glorious gospel that shows us that we're forgiven by what he has done and gifted to us. Jesus forgives all of our sins. He changes our hearts. He gives us forgiveness in baptism. He takes this old, crusty, selfish heart and he gives you his heart of love and mercy and forgiveness. He changes us from selfish to selfless. He changes us from being curved in on ourselves with sin to looking around and seeing the needs of the world around us, the neighbor, our neighbor. And he drives us, empowers us to love our neighbor. He gives us the ability to love as we have been loved. He gives us wisdom through his word that now guides and directs us in all that we do. Not depending on isms, or programs, or science, or the wisdom of the world, but depending on his word, which has died and risen for you. Many people question about the way that Lutheran preachers preach. It sounds like the same old thing, week after week, pastor, I sinned, Jesus died, he forgave me, amen. Same thing, over and over again. It is the same thing over and over again because that's what you need and that's what I need 
every day to be driven back to the fact that apart from Christ, we will not survive. Every day hearing the law that reminds me of my sin and the gospel then that points me to the fact that my execution has been paid for and given to someone else. And you're free. And you're forgiven. And Christ walks with you. And in the midst of everything in your world today, he promises never to leave you or forsake you. And he changes the way that we think from depending on the world and what's outside to depending on what he says in his word, which is true and powerful. We hear a lot of things about how we should preach. The world would say, oh, preacher, don't talk about sin that offends people. They won't come back. The world says to us, you should be more like a life coach. You should be giving more information. You should be more entertaining. A joke wouldn't kill you. You see, the world says that because the world doesn't want to hear about Jesus. But we need to, in every sermon, in this place, this pulpit, in this church, we preach Christ crucified, which is not, believe me, the easiest thing to preach. But it is the best And it is because of God's great love for you. We preach Christ crucified because that is your salvation. Not anything that the world offers to you. In three weeks, Mike and I and a number of others are going to be in Milwaukee. And we're going to be at the Senate Convention. And there will be all kinds of people begging more for his ear because he's the delegate. Trying to convince him of this or that in the way that he should vote. There's a very good reason that our convention this year uses this theme. We preach Christ crucified because every decision we make, everything we vote on, is because of that. Because of Jesus. Because of the forgiveness of sins that he has given you. And that will guide him and us and all of us as we go forward. We preach Christ crucified died and risen so that you have died and you will rise as certainly as Christ has risen. In the name of Jesus, amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord, amen.